All right. Welcome, everybody, to the um, podcast slash Zoomcast of uh, July 25th, 2019. I'm talking from Massachusetts at 6 o'clock Eastern time. Um, and here's how I want to start. I think we all know that we are made up of systems that every one of us that's listening to this and myself who's talking to this and listening <laughs> at the same time, that uh, we are made up of multiple systems and we studied those things in biology probably multiple times. So cardiovascular system, nervous system, musculoskeletal system, right? Gastrointestinal, uh, endocrine system, uh, skin system, all of these systems. And what I want, the perspective I want to build into the current mm, project of going over all of the DBT skills with you, but in a way that tries to add to how accessible they are to you, is to think of it as a system. We're addressing a system. We're addressing the emotion regulation system. And in one podcast, though I haven't done it exactly yet, I'll probably do one on the emotion regulation system. But um, it's important to realize that each system has a lot of subsystems or a lot of organs or a lot of parts to it. And that uh, the emotion regulation system certainly has different parts of the brain. It has uh, the body. Uh, it has the autonomic nervous system. The cardiovascular system is even part of it. Probably the gut is part of it. Um, and, uh, and our thinking is part of it. And our experience of emotions, it goes on and on. So there's... There's a lot of uh, parts to the system. And the important thing to realize is that they are absolutely interdependent on each other. And a change in any one of them changes the other ones. So when we're talking about that this whole project here is trying to strengthen our co capabilities uh, to rate emotions, um, and manage the whole system. You know, we're really talking about from head to toe. And, uh, uh, and the DBT skills are made up of a multiple different skills. So shift your focus for the moment, because this isn't quite the same, but it's the same idea. We have these skills for uh, enhancing awareness. That's one whole set of skills, and it applies to the emotion regulation system in multiple ways. But mastering the skills is important because you're going to use them like multi-purpose tools. Uh, we are going to be looking at skills for uh, accepting reality and tolerating distress because those help. And they are different skills, though they overlap. And they are interdependent with the uh, awareness skills or mindfulness skills. And then we're going to have emotion regulation skills with which we try to transform our reflexive usual patterns of emotional response so that we gradually reshape how we are responding to things and what our options are. We try to grow more complex and more realistic and have more options and more ways to transform our emotional responses. And we have another set of skills, uh, interpersonal skills, and the goal of those is to become better at dealing with other people in difficult situations. And so that's a set of skills. And all these are four packages of skills I've mentioned just now. 
And there's one more package, uh, which is the skills for um, uh, what Linehan called, well, actually originally the adolescent people, Alec Miller and Jill Rathis and others called finding the middle path or walking the middle path, which are skills of being dialectical, skills of, uh, of balance, skills of movement, skills of resolving tension and opposition. So these are five sets of skills. And they are in so many ways that it would take hours to talk about, interdependent on each other, and a change in any one of them changes the others. So here's the interesting and complicated thing about learning to use all these DBT skills, and it's why I'm starting today this way. One of the big challenges is the way the skills are laid out. Sometimes people just experience them as like going to a smorgasbord, uh, where there's here over, over here is a sort of a table of distress tolerance skills over here is a table of mindfulness skills. We do mindfulness practice at the beginning of skills training, and then we move on to whatever we're teaching, and it's sometimes not obvious what the relationship is between having done the mindfulness practice and then what the other thing you're gonna teach. And, and it, you end up with a kind of a sense of, oh my God, what a vocabulary of over 100 skills. How am I gonna know what to do? How am I gonna know what to use? I mean, and what's the relationship between these skills? Because they're all taught as separate modules, and each module is very cool, very interesting, has a lot of data behind it. But still, um, it would be nice if we could understand it the way we understand other things. Like when you learn to play hockey the way my children did, ice hockey, you know, you learn to uh, catch the puck in your stick. And you'd practice that over and over and over again. You might say that's a whole module of skills training in hockey. There's also learning to pass the puck. That's a different set of movements. It's a different idea. There's also shooting the puck at the goal, right? There's also skating. And then there's skating while you're shooting the puck. And then there's hitting a slap shot, which is a certain kind of shot when you're usually not skating very fast. And you have all these different things you learn. But the important thing as you get better is that you learn how to catch the puck while you're skating, shoot the puck while you're skating, pass the puck right after you catch it and while you're skating or when you're turning. Uh, all of these things are details, but they are these important details. It's the transitions between the different skills that have to be practiced after you learn each skill itself. And in DBT, I don't know that this is emphasized enough. I think if you read carefully D Linehan's skills manual, the second edition, you'll see a lot of references to things like this. And uh, so what I want to highlight is the interrelationships between the skills and the different packages of skills so that it's easier to just feel like, okay, this is very practical. Now I'm gonna move from these mindfulness skills onto this reality acceptance skill, onto this emotion regulation skill. And you, you start to learn it not as just words, you learn it as sentences and phrases and paragraphs, so to speak. And so I wanna highlight that today because we're making a transition today. First of all, last time I sort of presented to you, those of you who have listened to it, a kind of a different way of conceptualizing and even picturing the um, nature of the skills and their relationship to each other. 
And I'm, I just began that, and I'm going to be building on it all the way through the teaching of the rest of the skills. So that re, if, you were, if you were there, so to speak, um, or if you weren't there, I'll just quickly reiterate. I now picture the skills uh, as a whole as in a circular format. And right in the middle of this big circle is the um, state of wise mind. And it is integrally related to the choices we make. So wise mind gives rise to wise choices. Wise choices come from a recognizing reality as it is, so that we're not distorting things, recognizing the things we do to distort things, such as judgments, and then remedying that. Uh, aligning ourselves with our values, aligning ourselves with our goals, uh, and doing what's going to work. And so uh, the mindfulness skills, uh, which I called last time, uh, three of them, the basic skills, observing and describing and participating. And I think last time I called the, the next three skills rescue operations. I could also call them antidotes because non-judgmental is an antidote to those times when judgments take over our mind and distort our perception of reality. And if we base our life activity on the judgmental way of seeing things, we won't be as effective in getting to where we'd like to go. And one mindfully as another skill is an antidote to the fact that our lives are so busy and we multitask so much that it's very hard to just settle down and be where we are, be in this moment, be with the current reality, pay attention to it and respond to it. Instead, we're responding to five different things at once. So there's another antidote. And a third antidote is called effectively. And effectively is uh, a skill that says, if you know where you're headed, if you know what your goals are, which have been predetermined or they're in your mind, and you're on your way to your goals and you get deflected or hijacked by other high priority agendas, often emotional agendas, often judgmental agendas, often, you know, something that is crossing your mind and it takes over and you become less efficient and less effective at just getting goal number one done. So we get uh, taken over by things and effectively is a skill that's just an antidote that keeps reminding us, stay on track, stay on track. Just be simple. Just do what's needed to get it done. So you see, we're building from the in, inside out, wise mind being in the middle, then comes observing and describing and participating in a concentric ring outside that, because those are the big three, those big three ways of recognizing reality, accessing reality, underlining reality, factual reality and checking it against things like judgments and other distortions. Um, if we're going to be wise, uh, it's good to do good observing, describing and participating so that we're basing our whole nervous system, our whole body, our whole thinking apparatus on real things, real factual things. Um, and then in the next ring out are those three antidote skills a non-judgmental one mindfully and effectively. Sorry for those of you who heard this last time and you're hearing a repeat, though, you know, it's evolving in my head how these are working, so I'm not sure I'd explained it in exactly that way last time. All right, now these are the core skills, as Linehan called them. These are the core skills, and I 
and I, and I analogize these to core muscles around our abdomen, in our abdomen, around our spines, um, the things that really uh, strengthen us right from the core so that everything else is more doable. Um, so these are core skills. It's sort of like if you picture the, psy the psyche as, as, a consent set, as, as an organism, a visually based organism, right in the core are these things. And it's helpful to do these things day in and day out, practicing whether you're in adverse situations or not. They, they are just basic core skills that make everything more true to reality and probably make us more effective at what we're trying to do in our lives, um, including when we're trying to pay attention to our judgments, because then you use observing and describing a judgment. So you apply them to the innermost things and the most detailed things. So it's just something you practice now and then, maybe several times a day. You just stop and just notice. And notice the details, notice the facts, and notice if what you're noticing is actually distorted by your opinion um, about things. So now we've got this inner core. How do you get there? I mean, you practice those skills again and again and again. You just start practicing. And you, this doesn't mean you have to go to a field and practice for two hours or go to a meditation hall and practice two hours. It really just means now and then through your day, Stop, look, listen, take in what's going on, be where you are, just notice. Nothing more than that, nothing fancy, not to analyze anything, it's just to practice. Okay, I am here, practicing, observing, describing, and participating, which is really just kind of relating to your experience in a different way, rather than observing your experience, rather than describing the experience you observe. You're participating in it. Uh, often just non-verbally, and it's a different form of um, relating to experience, and it brings out other aspects of wise uh, responses um, that sometimes are hard to achieve through observing and describing. So now we're at the edge of the core. So what comes next? Well, just think about it. Let's say, I'll tell you, like today, just the, my latest example. Before I got here to do this. I, I was called this morning by these people that made my hearing aids, because I've had hearing aids for the past year or so. It totally helped my life, like unbelievable. I can actually hear everything that goes on. <laughs> I like to think I hear better than everybody, like I have super hearing. It's probably not true at all, but I like to tell people that I hear what's going on in the next car on the highway. Uh, nobody else can hear that, but really, I just hear normally. And so I've been missing them. Why? Because I, um, I won't go into the details. I, I, I can just still feel I have traces of judgment about this. But uh, through a moment, one moment, it's all it took of neglect, I lost the previous hearing aid. So I had to go down, drive about a half hour away to get these. I drive down. I want to get back in time to do the podcast. So I'm a little bit of a hurry, but I should have time. I get there. I go to the correct room. I stand in line, and there's a line of about five people. There's one person handling these five people, and that person is on the phone, looking like she's chatting with somebody. Not like a, it looks like not even a business call. And she, you know that situation where the person doesn't make eye contact. You're standing there looking. You're hoping things will move along. You're wishing that you could look at the person in such a way that she'll speed up. But you're trying to be a little polite, and you're standing there, and you're kind of impatient. And that's 
right where I was. I was impatient and I think I was looking impatient and I was kind of like tense and thinking, oh my God, how, and it's going so slowly. And by the way, when I got up to the front of the line, this won't surprise you. She said I was in the wrong room. So I had to go to this room and I went to this other room and there was one woman in there and she immediately took care of it. Um, so somehow I didn't get the memo about where to go. Um, while I'm standing there, I, uh, I am annoyed, I'm impatient, I'm having some degree of judgment. All of these things for me are like normal. I mean, I'm sort of can be that way. And then I'm noticing those things about myself. So then I decide, you know, let's stand here and practice radical acceptance. What would that mean? And I want to tell you exactly what that would mean. Um, that would mean that I, I, first of all, it starts with the core skills. It starts with observing. There, Linehan lays out 10 steps for radical acceptance, and step one is observe what's going on. You have to observe the circumstances that are causing you whatever pain or misery you're experiencing, you know, and notice them. Not look at them with a jaundiced eye, an angry eye, a resentful eye, an impatient eye, but actually see what is going on. Just look so you can see what's coming into your nervous system. And that's just a simple, but not always so simple, but it's a, a easy to describe and it's a wise thing to do. And then the second thing you observe is your internal responses to that. So I'm observing this person at the counter. I'm observing other people in other parts of the room that are working there, but they aren't helping her. I'm observing that she seems to be having a, a, a talk with somebody where that I, and I'm observing that I'm having the thought that she's talking with a friend. And I'm having the thought that she's deliberately not looking up at us to, 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 um, in order to not get our hopes up or to do something. And I'm noticing my, uh, I'm observing my judgments. I'm observing my thoughts. I'm observing my impatience. I'm observing my body. So I'm observing uh, the external situation and internal situation. And that's so often how it is when, when you are having trouble accepting something that's going on. Part of what you're having trouble accepting is your own responses to that, as well as what's actually going on outside your responses. So observing is the first step. And I stood there, you know, and I've been learning these steps, you know, I created an acronym for these steps, but it is an acronym that would be useful for nobody else, I'm pretty sure. And what I'm hoping is if I tell you my acronym and go through the steps, that you actually, somebody out there is going to come up with a far more elegant and easier to remember acronym. But you got, you remember, I was remembering when, when we were kids, we, as if we all went through this together. We all were kids, right? And we all went to science class, right? And we all learned a little astronomy. And we learned what the planets are. And at least in those days, before they added and subtracted a planet or two, uh, there was this acronym, M, Vem, J, Sun, P, which, went, which still informs me of what the planets are going from Mercury uh, to Pluto. And, uh, and so I, I have this one that's called, goes like, um, How's it go? Oika, O-I-C-A, uh, is the first four. Then Waka is O-A-C-A. And O-A is one of them, as you'll hear, and C-A is another one. So that's a total of six. Oika, 
waka. And then the last four are sew p. And but sew the way you sew a shirt, s e w. And finally p. So it's like oika waka sew p. So I've memorized the steps of radical acceptance. It's amazing how helpful it can be to memorize something like that. I mean, it's a pain in the ass, but once you have it in your head, anywhere you are, you're driving in traffic and you're you need it. You're having trouble accepting the pace of things. You're standing with somebody. You're having trouble accepting the way they're talking. Um, I was uh, this last weekend. I was out in Oregon at a uh, funeral for my sister-in-law, uh, and then was there with my brother who lost her and other family members and family members I hadn't met before on their side of the family. And uh, there was just a lot of moments of. Um, Moment after, if you watch for things that you don't accept, they're just happening all the time. It's part, it's part of the uh, ongoing uh, little pulses of misery of life. So, but, you know, not, nothing to get bummed out about. It's just the way all life is. It's the way it is. So, but it's very nice to have handy this 10-step protocol. So, oika, waka, so, pee. So, I, I went through the 10 steps. Uh, first, observing. So I observe what's going on outside myself, and I tried to observe it, you know, without judgment, tried to observe just describing what is going on as if you were just writing the narrative. Observing the responses I'm having inside and seeing them, because if they're judgmental responses or making assumptions or certain beliefs, if you just notice them and even state them, meaning describe what you observe, you can kind of hear that you're uh you're generating your own perception of things your own take on things and then that makes you more objective about it right so then comes uh the uh, i the i is just a way of saying um you know it is what it is uh it's like reminding yourself you know this is just reality this is just what it is there's nothing here that's sort of outrageous. I mean, even if it's an outrageous reality, it's a reality. It has a whole history. We're going to get to that. But so it, it's the second step is just say, okay, it is what it is, which something people say sounds trivial, but it's actually also very helpful if you really take it in while you say it. Uh, then comes C, and that is to take a look or imagine or consider what are the causes of the current discomfort the current circumstances, this current internal circumstances, is just sort of trying to put in context that this moment of discomfort, this moment of distress, this moment that I don't like and that I wish weren't here, actually is here because of everything that came before. There are causes. So when I start looking at this woman talking on the phone, I think, you know, actually I don't know what she's doing. I don't know her history. I don't know what the circumstances are. It seems like they could use another one or two people staffing the uh, window. Um, so she's alone. It, it generated a little bit of sympathy in me, like if I just think of it that way. Um, so I start to look and think there are causes to why she's being the way she's being. And they probably go deeper than I can possibly know unless I knew the whole system there. And there are causes to my impatience and my judgment. And it has to do with my own background as well as the fact that I'm trying to get this uh, task done in a short period of time so I can get back and talk to you. Um, so there's, and, and there's other things. There's just habits that I have 
So I can see, okay, this is a collision between the causals, causes and conditions of this office situation and the causes and conditions of my response to it. And okay, so there's a real whole context here. So in a way you'd say, of course this is happening. And of course it's happening this way. And of course I'm responding this way. So already I've done observing the whole situation and then I'm doing, it is what it is. Uh, and then I'm looking at what are the causes. Um, and what's the next one? The A uh, has to do with, um, um, gosh, being uh, um, all, I think it's, I think that A, because there's another A later, that's the problem. Um, but that A has to do with ex trying at that moment in the sequence to accept all the way to go all the way in accepting with your mind. Okay, I see with my mind that this is what's happening. I see with my heart, this is what's ha happening. I see with my body, this is what's happening. In other words, I'm, I'm taking this all in and from the inside out and the outside in, I'm just accepting this is the way it is. You might even use breathing, which is right at the core of our being and helps to bridge our body and our mind. Might use just breathing and while breathing in slowly, noticing it and breathing out while thinking about what you're trying to accept. So there's that. Then comes uh, O-A, waka, the first two letters are one, one step, which is practice opposite action. So this is a skill from another part of the DBT program, but um, it's very usable here. The idea is that you start acting as if, you're accepting what's going on. You try to like mm, deposit yourself into being an accepting being, inhabit being an accepting being, which means going against the impatience, going against the urge to change something right away or the uh, way of handling your communication so that you're conveying a judgment and, and impatience. You're kind of going against all of that and you're just trying to put yourself into um, uh, what it would be like if you are completely accepted, right? So um, that's the uh, OI, the first OA of Waka. This, then there comes the CA, which is the second step within Waka. And CA, which is another DBT skill from elsewhere, coping ahead. Now what you do with coping ahead, and I did each of these, is that I cope ahead by um, uh, with uh, the things that are you're having trouble accepting, and now you're uh, imagining accepting, and you're coping ahead with what you will do if you are going to inhabit uh, a more accepting posture. What will you do? And so, uh, uh, for me, I mean, I told you what I observed. I said to myself that this is what it is. I tried to let myself let go of it being anything other than what it is, which then causes sort of agitation. I looked at the causes, um, and then it was the uh, trying to just go all the way in just accepting this is what it is, and I'm just going to go with all of myself to try to accept this. Now I'm going to imagine if I can step into accepting this how, you know, how am I likely to cope? And this could be subtle things like 
I might be standing differently. I might be focusing on just sort of standing and looking around. I might distract myself a little bit just so I'm not just focused on this person who's holding us all up. Maybe I'm going to do something in my mind. Maybe I'm going to just focus on my breathing for a while and stand there and just set, settle in a little bit. But in other words, you start to rehearse what it is that you would do if you actually could accept because that'll help you get there. Okay, then there's these last uh, four, and the so P. And the so is attending to your body sensations. So this is where you kind of notice in your body the manifestation of non-acceptance. So there might be tension in your body somewhere. There might be agitation. There might be irritation. I mean, I certainly felt it uh, in my breath. I felt it in my chest. I felt it in my feet as I was sort of rocking back and forth and seeming kind of, uh, impatient, I could feel it in my face was kind of tight. So when I started to notice my sensations, my physical sensations, I could sort of at least realize, oh, look at the manifestations of tension, which is the manifestations of, of non-acceptance, and try to move in the direction of acceptance. I might scan my body different areas and just see if I can let go of some of that tension and be noticing the uh, emotions that are associated with that and just letting them come and go. So I'm standing there and doing that. And then the, uh, when I said the so P, that next thing is E, which is emotions. And the emotions is basically one of the things that holds us up and makes it so it's hard to radically accept things is that um, uh, if we accept something, one thing, we might feel like disappointed. Almost as if non-acceptance keeps hope open that you we're not going to have to accept something that actually we might probably do have to accept. But, but it's, it, it's part of an illusion that if we resist, if we're willful, if we don't accept, that actually we don't allow closure. We don't fully have to accept. Because if we fully have to accept, we have to think, oh, shoot, I'm disappointed in this situation. Or I'm sad, depending on the situation. I'm sad about this. You know, when I went to this funeral service for my sister-in-law, it's like, oh, trying to accept her death just was the whole weekend, of course, throughout conversations and being at the service and seeing pictures of her and uh, thinking about her way more than usual. It's sort of like, oh, when you really radically accept, this person's gone. And, and, even, and, and right immediately painful is, and my brother is now without her. My brother who already just retired in the past few months from his career now has lost her. And it's like, oh my God. And it's just like trying to accept that and accept that that's his situation. I could go through all of these steps again just about that. And why do that? Because it puts you in a better position with yourself. It puts you in a less stressed out position and it sets the stage for you to actually do something useful, you know, to solve a problem rather than just solve a problem by fighting against the reality. So you allow disappointment to come in. You allow grief to come in. You allow sadness to come in. Um, and you don't need to exaggerate those emotions. You don't need to suppress those emotions. They just are. 
They're usually not happy emotions, but if you go through the whole process of radical acceptance, you sometimes can experience real relief uh, in, a, in a fairly short uh, amount of time compared to what you thought. Um, when you're allowing the emotions in situations that you're unhappy with, you might also notice if you pay careful attention that your anger is actually a runaway from the emotions of sadness or disappointment or grief, that actually your anger, your resentment, you're going over the details that shouldn't happen. If I started going into, why are they, why is this woman doing this? Why aren't they giving her help? Why don't I, maybe I should go talk to somebody about getting help for her um, because this is a pain. And so if I get into that kind of agitated thought process, I'm not necessarily better at problem solving. If I just sort of stop, take it all in, observe it, it is what it is, recognize that it's the result of causes and conditions that have been there, try to act opposite, try to act my way into radically accepting this situation and then come up with how to cope with it, which might include how to change it, what to do about the causes and conditions. But now we're at um, the uh, E of so, and it's emotions. It's sort of allowing your emotions. And then comes the uh, W, which is uh, uh, recognizing that life can be absolutely worthwhile, even with pain. So you don't need to eliminate pain to have a worthwhile life. Often having worthwhile life is going to come more naturally to you if you get really good at accepting pain that can't really be changed right away. If you fight chronic pain, for instance, that your body is generating, and you don't have control over whether it's going to be there or not right now, you're just going to feel that life is easier. Everything goes easier if you can just radically accept that you have this chronic pain, rather than in that moment fighting that chronic pain, thinking you could get rid of it by refusing to accept it. And so that's the, um, that's the W, is the, the, that life can be worthwhile even with pain. And the final one is the P, which is to do pros and cons, like to ask yourself, what are the advantages of radically accepting this? What are the disadvantages of radically accepting this? So, you know, I think of all the, there's a lot of practical and useful things in uh, the, the DBT book on, uh, on the skills of reality acceptance, of which there are six, and of radical acceptance. There's a lot about it. Um, but I think I'm telling you today what I think is the most hands-on, practical, user-friendly. You, you may not find my acronym user-friendly. It's kind of ridiculous, but it, it works for me. Um, and, um, but if you can do those steps, they don't have to be done in that order, by the way. It isn't like this is a protocol that has to be followed in that order. It's a bunch of guidelines that just help you when you're hovering on the edge of reality, an aversive reality, a painful reality, a miserable reality, and you're fighting it, and you're feeling like, I can't accept this. I won't accept this. I just won't do this. I'm going to resist this. I'm going to fight this. If, if that is your stance, the first thing it takes to use this 10-step thing is to recognize, I am fighting this. I am not accepting this. You know, what are the things, for instance, that we um, don't accept? I mean, I made a, a list. I thought if I went down the different route, I was going to tell you, but 
yeah, obviously there's a lot of things that we don't accept. So just so you get the idea of the scope of these kind of things, I'll quickly say what um, things to accept about ourselves. It's a lifelong thing to accept some things about our birth, some things about our families, about our birth position in the family, how we were treated in the family, whether we were mistreated, whether we were neglected, whether we were traumatized. You know, it all happened. It's all reality. So that can be a lifelong piece of work on radically accepting that these things happened and that each of them had causes and conditions that went into them. Um, and that reality just is what it is, and that uh, trying to fight against it, even after the fact, is not going to do uh, too much more about it. I have things written down like your body. You might feel your body is too small, it's too big, it's too fat, it's too skinny, it's not symmetrical, it's not sexy enough, it's not athletic enough, you're too hairy, you don't have enough hair, and so on. You might have chronic pain. Most people probably do have chronic pain at some point in their life and some people throughout their life. You might have a restless and distractible nervous system that's also impulsive. You might have a sluggish and low energy nervous system and that's hard to accept. But accepting it puts you in a better position to figure out how to deal with it or compensate for it or just accept that it's there rather than cause yourself more stress. Anxiety coming and going. I was working with a young woman this week that's coming in for help with anxiety. It's very intense anxiety. And I was using some of these skills, the, some of the core mindfulness skills, uh, as well as acting opposite, which is an exposure procedure, as well as some of the radical acceptance in order to work with her about her anxiety. See, same thing with depression. Um, same thing with having had trauma, migraine headaches. Uh, Routinely having the experience of feeling, feeling empty, um, having cancer or having the person you love have cancer, on and on and on, right? All of these things, every single one of them is what we face. Some of them are small challenges that happen routinely. Others are like once in a lifetime, big deals. Some of them are things we're going to spend our whole life having trouble accepting. Then there's all the things to accept about other people. You know, they're, they're irritating, <laughs> they're annoying, they're smelly, they're boring, they require too much attention, they give too little attention, they don't make enough money uh, to help you, they focus too much on making money so they neglect you, they drink too much, uh, they don't drink with you, they're not fun, they're less generous than you are to them, they spend too much time on their smartphones, or they give you too hard a time because you're on your smartphone sometimes. They want sex more or less if it's a sexual partner than you do or in different ways. They ignore common courtesies. All of these things, right? Um, there, there was a, a woman that I treated many years ago. It was a torturous thing she had going. She smelled, she, she could smell something in her house that no one else in her household, and there were several people that lived there, no one else smelled it. She fumigated the house. She cleaned everything in the house. She cleaned all the clothes in the house. She, it was a huge preoccupation to get rid of this unpleasant smell. And guess what? She'd wake up in the morning and the smell was still there. It went on and on. And I was working with her on this and trying to help her problem solve. You know, what could this be? And what are the possibilities? And is there somebody who has expertise in this sort of environmental sensitivities that could come in. And she did a lot of these things and still there was the smell. And so really it became a last ditch effort and it helped her 
start to settle back into her life, which she had, she had more or less neglected. Um, when we worked on radical acceptance of the smell, radical acceptance of the fact that she had, you know, this smell and she didn't seem to be able to make it go away. And when she radically accepted it, just the way people, if they radically accept that they have chronic pain, the pain isn't gone. Like this is not a change strategy to get rid of pain or to get rid of a smell. But it is an acceptance strategy that helps you if you do it radically, which I'm going to come to in a couple minutes about what it, what's meant by radical. But um, if you really do it all the way, then it's like just a fact of life. It's like, okay, there's this smell. It's unpleasant. I don't like it. Now let me go do the things I need to do. You know, not to get rid of the smell, not to judge the smell, not to be outraged about the smell, but to get on with my life. Because once you can radically accept things, one of the great things about this approach to life, this skill, is then you can actually go on and live your life, uh, even if there are some things that are difficult. Unless they're just too difficult, sometimes this is not actually possible. Um, so I don't want to oversimplify this. And then there's things to accept about the environment, you know, the, the weather that you have, the level of congestion that you have where you live, or, or the degree, that, the fact that it's too rural or it's too humid, or there's much too no, much noise coming from your neighbors, whether you're in the same building or not. You know, the drinking water doesn't taste good where you are, and that's annoying and hard to accept. It's like there's so many things, because we all are organisms that have preferences. And so often, our own functioning, our own anatomy, our own position in life, our own friends, our own people we know or don't know, our own environments that we live in, our own jobs that we have. It's like, it's almost un, unimaginable that somebody would just uh, find that everything meets their preferences. It just won't happen that way. Some people can ignore things that don't meet their preferences, at least up to a point in time. But this is not that. This is actually staring it in the face, being there, accepting what's hard to accept as best you can with these various steps. Now, let me say something I said about radical acceptance. And this is something that isn't in the skills manual per se. It's my own add-on, you might say, or my own additional perspective about radical acceptance. And it's this. I think of um, many times people do it. Well, what, what's radical about it? Why do you say radical acceptance? And I... And, and I've, I've, I've had various answers to that. And there's acceptance, and then there's radical acceptance, there's non-acceptance. But you know what I think of it by now? I almost think of there's a scale in my mind of zero to 100. And, and um, zero is, um, um, I just don't accept it at all. 100 is radical, 100% acceptance, whatever, it, whatever is the uncomfortable thing thing, distressing thing, you know, um, unpleasant thing that we're talking about. It's that I've done the work on it so that I actually 100% accept that that is that. And it'll change when it'll change, or maybe I can work on changing it. But for the time being, it is what it is. And, I, and it's just, so that would be 100, 0 to 100. And then I think what we really have is a spectrum of acceptance. Uh, and it's complicated, this idea of acceptance, because sometimes we can accept something with our mind, and somebody could say, well, yeah, well, I accept, I accept her, or I accept him, or I accept that that's the case. But actually, in our emotions, we don't accept it. 
In our heart, we might not accept it. In our soul, we might not fully accept it. So it might be that we could accept something with our body, but we're obsessing about it with our mind. And so actually, the, in the, the, it's a multifactorial concept, acceptance, because we can accept in different ways. It's very close in nature to talking about the concept of making a commitment in your life. There's such a thing as a 0% commitment. There's such a thing as a 90% commitment. And there's such a thing as a 100% commitment, I think. And 100% is way more than 90%. It's where you have actually passed a tipping point. And you are so committed to something happening that you are going to do everything you can which of course increases the chances that you're going to accomplish whatever it is you're trying to accomplish. So that's commitment. It's the same idea. There's a spectrum. There's no one thing that is commitment. We, we sometimes commit publicly. We sometimes commit pri only privately. We sometimes tell one other person. We sometimes commit not in our thoughts, but we commit with our actions. And so there, it's a, a, another com complex concept is, is, is commitment. And maybe it'll be the subject of a different podcast. But for this podcast, radical acceptance and acceptance, I think of the same way. So if I look to the zero to 100 chart, here's how I think of it these days. I divide it in, in four parts. I sort of think from zero to 25, I'm going to call radical non-acceptance. From 25 to 50, I'm going to call non-acceptance. From 50 to about 90, I'm going to call acceptance. And from 90 to 100, I'm going to call radical acceptance. Just to stay away from being too perfectionistic. Let's say you can be radical at 90. Um, but the idea here is that we actually, on a given day, our degree of ability to accept something in our lives that's been there for five years uh, might be 70 instead of 40, or 20 instead of 60. In other words, I think that the it isn't like we accept, and that's it, and now we're done accepting, as you'll hear next time. One of the other reality acceptance skills, if you don't already know it, is called turning the mind. And it's based on the idea that if you get yourself up to 70 or 80 or 90 or 100, and you're really accepting, it's quite possible tomorrow you're going to be at... 30 or 40, and you're going to need to turn the mind back to this process of radical acceptance and try to get yourself back up the ladder and, and more accepting. Why? Because life goes better if you're more accepting. Why? Because you're more creative if you're more accepting. You, and, and why you, you solve problems better if you're more accepting. Isn't that a paradox? Like the, the problem you accept, if you radically accept it, you're actually in a better position to fix it to solve it, rather than fighting it, judging it, and so on. Um, so it's just a huge thing to do radical acceptance. It prepares you for everything that's going on further out on this circle of skills, too, that, that I'm talking about. So what is it? So, so I would say non-acceptance, if I was standing in that line at the hearing aids office again, if I was 0 to 25, Radical non-acceptance would be probably to have a tantrum. It, it would be a, a more aggressive version of non-acceptance. 
it would be, what the hell is going on around here? And I would like start to break up the place. And I'd go talk to somebody and I would cut in front of other people and I would be a, I would really make my complaints known. And of course that can be effective briefly sometimes, but that would be radical non-acceptance. Now maybe you would use that as a strategy now and then, but if that's your usual strategy, it's gonna be a problem. Then from 25 to 50, if I was just using, if I was in this state of non-acceptance and I'm standing there in that line, I'm, that's sort of where I was for a while. I went at first, when I, when I just gradually took in the scene, I was really not accepting that it was the way it was, that, or that it had to be the way it was, or that there was any way to understand it that was okay. I didn't want to let them off the hook. I didn't want to agree with what they were doing. I didn't want to approve with what they were doing. And, uh, and yet, as the point I want to make about that is that radical acceptance does not mean you've approved. It does not mean you've agreed. It doesn't mean you're letting anyone off any hook. It's just a skillful thing to do in your own self, in your own body, in your own mind, to uh, alleviate stress and to get on board with reality and then to solve problems. So, um, so anyway, if I was non-accepting, but I wasn't radically non-accepting, I think I would just be more quietly non, I might be a little bit steaming, I might be just cursing under my breath. Um, I, I would be clearly in the category of not, I don't accept this, this is not okay. But on the other hand, I'm not like carrying it out aggressively. Now you get over the line from 49 to 51, let's say, and you get into the realm of acceptance. And of course, there's, there, these are fine-tuned transitions. But let's say you go up a bit into acceptance, but not radical acceptance. There's a lot of room for acceptance without radical acceptance. In a way, that's depicted by me saying you can be from 50 to 90. You might be in, in uh, acceptance. And acceptance means that you partly accept it. It's like you can see why things are the way they are, but actually you are still got a grudge. It's sort of like I accept, but I still have a grudge. I accept with my mind, but I don't accept with my emotions. <clears throat> I'm still going to fight this but I realize this may be how it has to be. It's where you've got one foot in accepting and maybe one foot in, in a grudge. And, um, and I think that that's sort of a state of acceptance. And that's pretty good. You're getting in the right direction. But I think the goal in this skill is to try to get up to radical acceptance. And that's where you have, I think, passed a tipping point. And these steps can help you get there if you practice them. And then if you go over them again, and then you realize that you're not doing one of them very well, and you go over them again, and you just gradually get yourself on board with what is going on. You know, this person died. I interviewed a man during a consultation a few days ago. Um, there's no way anybody could identify this, so I don't think it's revealing anything. But I interviewed a man and then consulted to his mental health team in the community. And he has a psychotic illness. And um, his father died about six years ago. And uh, he decided about one year ago that his father's dead. So there was a five-year period uh, during which he did not accept that his father was dead. And in fact, at first, it was rather radical non-acceptance. He was going at everyone who said anything about his father not being there. He was acting as if his father was there. Um, and he was saying things that he and his father are going to do or that they are doing. And then he, he just little by little took in reality. 
softened up a little bit. And about a year ago, he decided, he, in fact, he formed, informed a staff member of a treatment program as if he had made a new discovery, and he did for himself. He said, you know what? Don't wait for him. My father's not coming back. And, it was, and, he, and then he had sadness. Uh, and the staff member listening to him felt quite sad, like the staff member realized the, the fact that he had focused on a, a, a delusion that his father was still alive all these years was protecting all of them from just recognizing, oh my God, this is the biggest loss in this man's adult life. And he lost a father that actually looked after him, was kind to him, took care of him, lived with him, did all kinds of tasks with him and for him. So it was like a big, big loss. So took him with, with his illness five years, but people with no illness all take that long to accept that. And I think the loss of a child, for instance, of your own, or the loss of a certain pet can go on for years and years, if not forever. So radical acceptance is, though, working towards, okay, this is real. This is a fact. This is what's happening. There is a smell in my house. It is a fact that no one else smells it. It is a fact that sometimes I feel judged by other people because I, I smell something they don't smell. It is a fact that maybe sometimes they think I'm crazy, okay? All these things are fact, and it is a fact that it doesn't seem to be going away, and maybe it'll go away someday of its own accord, or maybe we'll discover something, but it's also a time for me to move on. And so all the work she put into trying to do things about it and then trying to accept it got to where she actually radically accepted that this was, in fact, a smell that she still thought was coming from the environment, but she knew no one else smelled it, so it was puzzling. Um, gosh, there's so many examples, right, um, uh, of things that are hard to accept. But radical acceptance is when you kind of like, I think of it almost like you crack into a shell. You're, there's still this final holdout of, I don't, I don't know that I go, I'm not, I'm no, don't know that I'm willing to accept this because I'm not willing to let them off the hook. I don't know if I'm willing to accept it because I don't agree with this or I don't approve this. I don't know if I'm willing to accept this because it'll be too painful and emotional for me to actually accept that this is it. It's too final for me. Um, all of those reasons might interfere with that final breaking through the shell. It's like cracking open the shell, the egg of acceptance, saying, you know what? That's it. Once before in a podcast, I gave a sort of a more detailed example, and just allude back to it right now, of radically accepting at a certain point when my son was 16 and I had been trying to impose my strategies of life on him for doing homework, and it just didn't work for him, and he came to feel hatred towards me at a certain point, and there was the, the acceptance of that or the acceptance I've got to do something different, but you know, that acceptance I've got to do something different about my behavior doesn't necessarily move you to actually do it. But when you radically accept it, it is actionable. It is actionable. At that point, you say, oh my God, I'm done. I am done. I am not his homework helper anymore. I am not entertaining the idea anymore that this person's coming back. I'm going to let myself feel the grief and I've got to move on. So it's a big skill. It's also the core of several other skills that we'll, I'll talk about next time. By the way, next time is next week. Um, thir next Thursday, August uh, 
gosh, I think it might be August 1st, whatever it is, Thursday of next week, I think it's the first uh, in August, um, first Thursday in August. So that's it. We'll be talking about reality acceptance skills and how they interact, interrelate. But realize that one of the points I'm trying to make today is you move from the discovery of reality, from observing reality, describing reality, participating in reality, finding the edge of reality, finding what's factual, and then the next task, if you want to reduce your suffering and increase your freedom, is you just move over, like make a transition, you pivot to acceptance or trying to accept the reality that you have observed and described and that isn't very pleasant. Um, and all of that is a step forward, even if it means that you go through pain while doing it for a while, which you usually do. But it come, you come out the other side with more relief, with more perspective, with more realistic grasp on things, and with the ability to solve problems better. So I hope I've made my points here. I hope this was interesting to you and not just repetitive for everybody. But very big stuff. So if I did repeat, actually... I'm afraid that's just how it is. <laughs> All right, everybody. Anybody who's listening, um, next podcast, we'll move on. Okay, have a good week. Bye.